let's do this. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. We're back. Welcome to Glove Fist. My name is Frank Letirzo, former fighter, part-time writer, full-time observer. We have a big show tonight. We're going to touch on a few things. We got a featured fighter, Mike Tyson. We're going to touch on a big fight at Madison Square Garden, roughly on this date. And we're going to talk about some upcoming fights and we're going to review what happened this past weekend. I'm going to welcome in Jack Hirsch, former Boxing Writers Association of America, six-time president, six-term president. How are you tonight, Jack? Pretty good, Frank. You know, I thought we'd have to start the show by basically re reviewing Chocolatito Gonzalez's career. What a great career he had, that he's a future Hall of Famer. But now we're talking about his future. Not only his past, but his future as well after the performance he turned in against Julio Cesar Martinez Saturday night. And I know you were glowing about it. Uh, why don't you yeah. tell our viewers? Jack, I think it was one of the most comprehensive, complete performances I've seen in a long time. The guy is a genuine all-timer. You can make a case he's even better than his countryman, Aguayo. I can't think of a fighter today who's active, who has better punch placement than him. Martinez can really fight. And although he never stopped trying to win, you could see that Gonzalez took all his confidence, you know, pretty early. And the other thing about Gonzalez, he's never in a bad fight. Let me just say this, too. Gonzalez is an attacker. But, Jack, he is the most smooth, relaxed attacker that I've seen. And he actually even broke down Martinez with his defense. And it's not like it's, it's not Mayweather – or Benitez defense, or Whitaker, he stays in front of you. He just keeps everything tight. It's fundamental. He rolls a little bit here and there. And when you stop, he goes. And, like, you don't know if he's going to throw a left to the body, to the head, to the to – the, um, with, with the right hand, is he going to come around? Is he going to hook? And somebody had said to me, Frank, you know, I watched the fight there. I'm like, you notice how he doesn't hook off the jab? And I said – He's probably the only fighter I've ever seen who doesn't have to hook off the jab. How many times was he in close and all of a sudden, boom, you know what's coming. He's right there. Martinez has to feel his body move, and he would just topple him with that left hook on the chin. And then just when he had a read on that, he'd come underneath. And then he'd come underneath with the right. And then he would jab. It, it was a beautiful performance. The guy... He is just so good with his punch placement. He knows what to throw and when to throw it. He throws it with power, and it was just a sensational performance. I think I gave him all but one round. 
I could see if somebody maybe That's gave a little him- extreme. I had it 117, 111, nine rounds. The three as great as Chocolatito was. I mean, Martinez was winging in a lot of punches. There were several close rounds. And, but I will say this. Your scorecard is more reflective of Chocolatito's performance than maybe mine would be. The judges had it. Uh, 116, 112, 117, 111, 118, 110. In other words, they had in rounds 8, 4, 9, 3, and 10, 2. I thought all those cards were fair. Okay. Hey, Jack, here's how I broke it down. And you're right. Martinez was winging, but I looked at it and I thought, a lot of those punches are being picked off. They're hitting the gloves. And I said, you know what? I am going. To, I, I think that we should reward for some defense, too. And then just when it looked like Martinez may have had the round. Chocolatito would come back with like three or four flush combinations. No, that to me cuts. just yeah the uppercuts. I mean everything. Some of those straight right hands with or without the jab in front of it. And I thought no ring generalship, clean punching, defense. So again, I could see it ten two, which I think is what my score was. You have it nine three. I don't have a problem no. with that. Uh, you know what struck me when they were in the ring? I mean, you could see them at the weigh-ins, at the press conferences, but when they're actually in the ring together, then the size difference is very striking. Uh, what's not mentioned anymore is that Martinez did not make weight. He was moving up from flyweight, 112-pound limit, to super flyweight, 115 pounds, so you'd think he's moving up a weight division, even though it's only three pounds. So he's definitely going to make weight, but he didn't make weight. He came in like a pound and a half over. You wonder whether that was intentional, whether the $50,000 fine was worth it, whether he cheated or not deliberately, because it's hard to believe he couldn't make weight in his first fight in a higher weight class. But when they won the ring, he looked like a small guy compared to Chocolatito. And even Eddie Hearn said after the fight, no, no, he has to move down to flyweight. He's too small. So, the, you know, Chocolatito was stocky. He was strong. And Martinez had all the heart in the world. And he fought till the very end, you know, all credit to him. But he just looked like the smaller guy, like physically in there. Let me ask you this. And I thought about this during the round. And someone had mentioned it to me. But I know someone that scored the sixth round, 10-8, even though there was no knockdown. And I remember when I was scoring the fight at home watching it, I flirted with that. I don't, I don't think that was a bad call. Again, I didn't do it. I don't have a problem. But, boy, it, it looked like in that sixth round, it looked like Martinez was not going to make it past the seventh. And he did regroup, and he came back, and he got back into the fight. But you could make a case that sixth round was a 10-8 round. I hate the 10-point must system. I'm addicted to it in a very negative way. Unless one fighter gets shaken up, he's staggered at least, and, and in some type of trouble, I routinely score those rounds 10-9. Am I wrong? 100% I'm wrong. But that's the way it's done in boxing. I mean, if, it's a, if the winner gets 10 points in the round and the loser 9 or less, the loser of the round should only get nine if it's a very close round. If one fighter wins the round, clearly, in reality, it shouldn't be 10-9. Let's say one fighter has hardly thrown a punch and he gets knocked down three times in the round. 
Shouldn't we score that round 10-3 in reality? Jeff, I think do it. I see our friend Randy Gordon scored it 10-8. Hey, I'm not surprised at that, but I really do think the round should be weighted. And I'm going to tell you why. Here's a perfect example, and there was controversy after the fight. Do you remember when Delahoya fought Corte? Yeah. A lot of people had a problem with that decision. I went back and I scored that fight by rounds and points. The only 10-8 round was the last round when De La Hoya dropped them. And then they had a round where they both went down. But the rounds that Corte won were very clear cut and concise where the rounds that De La Hoya won were much closer. But they were all 10-9 on the cards except for the knockdowns. So I think there is a case for the rounds being weighted. But let's go back to Chocolatito for a second. I made the mistake, and I will admit it. When he got knocked out in the rematch by Ringbeside, I thought his career was done. And if you look back now, I you realize. I thought he won the first fight, though. I thought it was. I had, Jack, I had him win the first fight, and I was going to get yeah. to that. I thought he won the first fight. I understand that he had some issues preparing for the second fight when he got stopped. But if you look at his record. His two decision losses, again, you can't find many people that felt that he lost the rematch to Estrada, and he def I felt he definitely beat Ringasoy the first time. So you could make a case his only loss was the rematch to Ringasoy, and he kind of got written off because of that. But he has always been a beautiful technician. I mean, what an offensive fighter. What a repertoire. You don't know what he's going to throw. He disguises it. He knows when you're reloading and he goes first. And, and, and a couple times when he led with that left hook in close, that was just a thing of beauty. If Martinez didn't have a chin, he would have really been in big trouble. But I just love watching that offensive performance. And again, as I started off with, I can't recall Anybody recently who put on the performance? You said Mayweather against Canelo. Canelo. This fight reminded me a lot of that because I think Martinez is going to go on to have a heck of a career going forward now. Right. Maybe not as great a career as Canelo is having, but he's going to have an elite career. There are going to be more world titles, a lot of big wins, and it wouldn't surprise me if Martinez ultimately winds up being a Hall of Fame fighter. But on this night, it was really a bridge too far. No, the other guy, Ch Chocolatier was just too good. He showed why he was up in the pound-for-pound pound ratings for all those years. And, you know, I, I, our friend Randy Gordon, I, I saw something he said today where he said Alexis Aguayo told him about this 16-year-old kid, and he said he's going to be one of the greats. And Alexis Aguayo knew what he was looking at because, obviously – Chocolatito is one of the greats. I just hope that he doesn't move up and fight Inouye. Uh, yeah, I mean... The money they're going to offer him, Jack, it's going to be hard to walk away. It would be hard to pick him to beat Inouye, okay? I mean, as masterful as he looked, he'd be in front of a young, dynamic, explosive puncher with a lot of skills, stamina, and, you know... As hard as Martinez fought, he didn't have the big punch to turn things around. I mean, I picked Martinez to win on a very close decision, you know, going in. And I thought Martinez's work rate at the end of the day would, 
you know, make the difference. I didn't anticipate Chocolatito being as superb as he was, having such incredible punch placement, being able to land. It was like radar over and over. But against the Nui, I mean, who can adapt to, you know, different styles, quick on his feet, lightning, you know, lightning fast hands, one of the hardest punches. Jack and Nui is a, it, It's a scary fight for Chocolatito, but I'm going to tell you this, Frank. I'm not counting him out if the fight gets made. I'm going to have to analyze it a little more. Okay. Inouye is a great boxer puncher, and because he knocks everybody out, people forget about his boxing skill and how he sets thing up, things up. I just think it's a bridge too far for Gonzalez. I'm sorry, for Chocolatito. I think he would have his moments, but when all is said and done, I think it's almost like a little version of Frazier and Foreman. I just don't think Chocolatito could hurt him, but I think Inouye could hurt him. And I, as good as Chocolatito can box, moving back and to the side, I don't think he can beat Inouye doing that. I mean, like a case for Chocolatito in a fight right now. The best fighter Inouye has ever fought, we'd have to say it's maybe Nonito Donaire, perhaps. Absolutely. Okay? And look how tough a fight that was. That was a reasonably close fight. It was an all-out battle from the first bell to the last. It went to distance. Donair I think that Inouye's going to be better fight. off of that, Jack. And Gonzalez is better than Donair. No ifs or buts about it. You can make that case. The case you made was is a, a little good long one. in the tooth going into the fight. Well, again, I hope that we don't see that fight because I don't want to see Chocolatillo get stopped, but I think he does. Now, I there was another on the card fight on that show, if I have a moment, okay? With certain rule changes I'd like. I'm sorry if I cut in Frank. Mauricio Lara uh, stopped Emilio Sanchez in three rounds. Uh, Mauricio Lara, his last two fights were against Josh Warrington. Two fights ago, he stopped Josh Warrington in England in a big upset. Then he went back there for a rematch. They had a clash of heads early in the fight. It was no contest. Now, Mauricio Lara was dominating the fight. He knocked down Sanchez in the first round, and he had him in trouble in the third. And all of a sudden, Sanchez nails Lara. Lara's in desperate trouble, uh, you know, and Sanchez is pouring it on. It looks like we have a big upset. So Lara basically tackles Sanchez and goes down. And then when he gets up, the ref is taking his time, giving him a warning. Oh, you shouldn't tackle him. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't so do that. So letting him recover. But valuable time is going by. Right. Valuable time is going by. If anything, he could have disqualified Lara, even though that would have been being a little quick on the trigger to do it. And I hate when refs, come in there like that. When one fighter's in trouble, he knows all he has to do is commit a foul, a spit out his mouthpiece, and he's given all this trick in the book. Play. Listen, the most exciting fight I, I've, I've ever seen in person, major fight, okay? And I'm not counting Ali Frazier one because that's in the class of itself. I put everything right. separate. I was in Las Vegas for the first Diego Corrales-Jose Luis Castillo fight. Corrales is knocked down twice in the 10th round. He spits out his, mouth his mouthpiece out and gets a delay. And then he's able to rally late and score miracle stoppage. You can't have that. You want to know something? As soon as you're knocked down, if you can't keep the darn mouthpiece in your mouth and you have to spit it out, 
That's reason to me for the ref to stop it immediately. Frank, you boxed. How often did you lose the mouthpiece? Not all, I can't remember any time. Right, right, Sparring but, a couple times, but never in a fight. But but you may have thought if you were in trouble to spit it out because you think you get a reprieve. And that's a rule that has to change. No, the referee should not should be not he should not influence the outcome of the fight. And we have not seen We've seen some ba pretty bad refing lately. And when you talk about, it's funny, you talk about the best fight you ever saw live. The best fight I ever saw live was the first fight between Marvin Johnson and Saad Muhammad, Matt Franklin then. I can't even remember who the referee was. The fight was so good. The ref was a yeah, non-factor. Yeah. Hey, you could take any Matthew Franklin fight just about, right? I mean, I could give you, I bet if you sat people down and you gave them multiple choice, like the four questions, Matthew Satz, Muhammad's four most exciting fights. It would be interesting to see what the split would be. because Mine would be the two with Marvin Johnson and the two with Yaki Lopez. Uh, you know what? Matt Franklin, Matthew Satz, Muhammad, I mean, described Yaki Lopez to me. He said, that guy was a war machine. Well, Matthew Satz, Muhammad was a war machine. But oh, I shouldn't use that term. Listen, I shouldn't use that term, what's going on in Ukraine. That was just something that Matthew Saad Muhammad said at the time, you know, too. And, of course, Frank, uh, what we both should have done, and I, you know, was open the show to say that everyone in Ukraine, the boxes there, the Klitschko brothers, Yusik Lomachenko, they're always in our thoughts. And I think Postola is in there, too. Postola, I think he went oh, back, wow. too. I don't think his family's there, but I think Postel's in the mix, too. Jack, there was a, speaking of Postel, there was a guy, there was another big fight this weekend. And had there not been the Chocolatito fight, we'd be talking about it more. But we saw Ramirez fight Pedraza in an elimination battle at 140. I'm gonna tell I expected more fireworks. I like Ramirez. I think he fought Taylor, Josh Taylor to a standstill almost, except for the two knockdowns. I had that 6-6. Six, six. The knockdowns were the dis the difference, and Ramirez finished strong. I thought he looked really good the other night, and if Josh Taylor moves up in weight, I would love to see Regis Prograce fight Josh Taylor for one of the belts down the road because I, I can make a case they're probably the two best guys in the division minus Taylor. I still have a beef. Listen, I think Jack Cadrell beat Josh Taylor, and the vast majority of people feel he did. Uh, and I don't. I'm one of them. I just don't. I don't see the controversy as much as others do. If he, but 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 you did feel that Jack Cadrell won the fight. I thought he. I thought he pulled it out. Right. Okay. And I thought he won with a little room to spare, even though I I wouldn't label the decision as being outrageous right. the way other people would. But I think if he's going to stay at junior welterweight and not move up Josh Taylor, he's got unfinished business with Jack Catterall. He said he'll he fight him again in a catch weight. The, but listen, that's up to Jack Catterall. There's no title on the line. He's saying he's going to fight him at a catch weight. You know, Josh Taylor might not have all the options that we think he does. First off, he fought pro ride before it was a great fight. Could have gone either way, too. Right, but the fight's not as appealing if Josh Taylor doesn't hold a belt. A, fight, right. a rematch with Catterall, yeah, it would have a lot of interest, especially if they fought it in England, you know, and they didn't go back to Glasgow. We talked about this last week. If they fight again and the belts are on the line, would you take Catterall? 
I think I would take Catterall because I think I don't think it was a fluke the first fight, and I think there might be a little bit of a sympathy factor there, even though it doesn't always work that way. We just have to look at Golovkin and Canelo. Most people think Golovkin won the first fight. He certainly didn't get. Any I think he overwhelmingly won the first. But fight. he didn't get. But he didn't get judges leaning over backwards in the rematch. So you never know. But Canelo's different from anyone else. He's the Canelo, money guy, and he backs him up. Judges always favor Canelo. Have favored him throughout his career. I mean, if you, I, I wrote a story on this. I mean, if you look at him fight by fight how the fight really went and how the scores were, you know, it, it, but they, that's another issue. And you kind of won against Bivol, what the situation, you know, would be with the scoring, but you well, know, we'll have a lot yeah. of fun with that, with that. But I'll say this, Jack, if, if Catterall and Taylor fight again, as I said last week, I would go with Taylor because I looked at a lot of film of Catterall before the fight, the last fight with Taylor. And the guy that showed up for that first fight was not the guy I saw when I watched his previous fights. I've seen Taylor look so much better. And I just think that that could have been Catterall's night where I think Taylor would be more focused and purposeful. And I think he could be a lot better. And I would pick Taylor to win a rematch if they fight at 140. Well, you know, Josh Taylor fights for top rank. And especially if he moves up in weight. What's there for him? I mean, we've discussed it. The welterweight division is basically tied down by Al Heyman's PBC. He's, they have both Spence and Yugos on the contract, okay? And they have Keith Thurman on the contract. So the spence Ugas winner is probably going to be matched with Keith Thurman. Terrence Crawford isn't signing with anyone, and that's a case of a sensational talent. I thought race. that Boots was ranked above Thurman, and he gets the shot at the winner. Jack? Yeah. Would Boots demand it right now, Jerron Ennis? Would he absolutely demand it? Would he take, you know, step aside in money? See, here's what I think. I think if they make if, – if Spence beats Yugas, I think what's going to happen is if they make him fight Boots – I think Spence is going to decline that, yeah. and he's going to decide, I'm going to fight Crawford instead because the risk is about as steep, and it'll be for a lot more money, and it'll be for all the belts. What, okay, let's say Crawford is made the ma uh, mandatory and Boots Ennis is made the mandatory, where they have to fight one another. It's some type of scenario with one of the sanctioning bodies do you think it's a fight that Terrence Crawford unhesitatingly takes? Do you think uh, Boots Ennis, really, his people really want to fight right now? Because the one guy who would have a good, good chance, the best chance of beating Boots, and he probably would be favored, would be Terrence Crawford. If I'm managing Boots Ennis, do I really want to fight Terrence Crawford in the next year? I mean, I don't think so. I, it's a bold, bold move. It, it makes you a star if you beat Terrence Crawford. You're one of the big names in boxing, but it can wait a little longer. I don't avoid Spence, the Spence Ugas winner. I think Boots is good enough to step up and beat both of them. But something about Terrence Crawford. I know, would not risk that here, Jack, because as good as Boots is, he, is, he has not been in with or seen anything 
like Crawford, who still shows he's got a couple fights left in him. So I agree with you. That would be a very, very tough decision to make. And if, you, if you're Crawford, you have to think the same thing, too. It's like, you know, where do we go here? And the longer, the longer they wait, the longer Boots is held out, the better it'll be for him because he's only going to get stronger and better where Spence and Crawford are going to start to decline. But it, it, it's interesting to see how that plays out. But I would, lo- I just want to see Boots fight. We and I know the best fighting the best. It's not that, but right now, when you have a, I'm seeing the thought here, but then I thought you guys want the best fighting the best. We do. Right. But we're talking about what the reality is. It's a business. But, but, but Boots is going to get a lot, lot better. Crawford is at his peak. He's Crawford's as good peak. now as he's ever going to be. Okay? But Boots is, uh, you know, he's just going to be getting better. You can, sometimes you could wait a little bit. Like Angelo Dundee tells the story about the first Leonard Hearns fight. Uh, Mike Trainer tried to make the fight a year early in Rhode Island, a 10-rounder between Leonard and Hearns. And Dundee said, I killed the fight. Let it wait. Let it grow. Let it get bigger. It would have been a great fight if they fought a 10-rounder early in their careers. But uh, Jack Quarry wanted Jerry to fight Joe after they sparred in 67. And Yank shot it down, said the same thing. Let's wait until there's a title on the line. Lee, I think if – I see what you're saying, but I think if Boots beats Crawford when Crawford's undefeated, even if he's a little long in the tooth, he'll get credit. Crawford won't be considered long in the tooth until he has a performance that is so-so. Even it could be a winning performance, but where he's kind of exposed as looking a little less than sensational. But who knows what's going to be Crawford. Uh, and let's not forget Tiafimo Lopez. You may, when we were talking about Josh Taylor, Tiafimo is moving up in weight and... Even Makes that division even better. Welterweight and Josh Taylor's moving out of the division, supposedly. I'm sure Tiafimo and Josh Taylor could be made at a catch weight, you know, 143, 144, you know. So let's see what happens there. Well, I hope if they fight, Jack, it's not at a catch weight because I hate those fights. Well, if no titles on the line, I don't have a problem with catch weights ever. I mean, only okay. if you're contesting. For guys, world title. Well, the only way Taylor's going to lose a title is if he gives it up or gets well, he beat. Gonna, he's going to have to give it up. Yeah, if he's moving out of the division. Yeah, he absolutely has to. Give I don't it think. Up. Well, I don't think in closing the book on that, Jack. I don't think we're going to see that. I think he's going to stay at one forty. I think he realizes that one forty-seven is a fast track, and he can't run with the he's first fight five or six guys. Man. He stays at one forty. Got to fight Catterall. I agree. Yeah. I don't want him to revisit Regis Progry. I no. don't want him to fight Tiafimo Lopez at 140 because Jack Catterall is going to be looming over his shoulder no matter what. Okay? Here are the four, here's what we do. Two fights, Jack. A rematch between Catterall and Taylor, and then we have Progress and Ramirez fight, and then the winner's fight. That's a heck of a fight. Mm-hmm. Brian Ramirez, a terrific fight. Terrific. I winner. always thought that Progress would beat him. But we haven't seen him a whole lot of him lately, so I would love to see that fight. Oh, absolutely. You know, you mentioned – we just mentioned a potential doubleheader, and I, I spotlight fights. We normally spotlight one fight, 
But tonight we're going to spotlight two because it was a doubleheader on the same show that opened up Madison Square Garden. So March Spotlight fight takes us back to March 4th, 1968, when the new Madison Square Garden, the current garden, but the right. new garden at the time opened up. And at that time, Madison Square Garden truly was the mecca of boxing. And they needed a special show to open up the garden. So the, you know, so the shows that they had actually was the rubber match, the third fight between Nino Benvenuti and Emil Griffith. Nino upset Emil to win the title in the first fight. Griffith at Madison Square Garden, the old one. Griffith regained the title at Shea Stadium. Both fights went the distance. And then they were having the rubber match at the garden. And also the co-feature that was right after the middleweight fight was Joe Frazier against Buster Mathis. A great matchup at the time, Frank. Both undefeated, rivalry from the Olympics. Right. They had fought twice in the amateurs, in the Olympic trials, in the box-offs. And Mathis won both times to earn the right to represent the United States in the heavyweight division. But Mathis supposedly injured his thumb, couldn't make the trip. So Frazier, who was the substitute was brought in against Mathis, and it was an intriguing fight. And I'll tell you, one thing people never mention about Muhammad Ali, he normally handicapped fights very good. And they asked him about this fight beforehand, and he'd been his license had been taken away. You know, it had been like close to a year. And he was saying like, oh, he doesn't know who's going to win the fight, but if he has to pick anyone, it was going to be Mathis. So it kind of made you one in the back of his mind. Maybe he wasn't overly impressed with Frazier Ali at the time. How impressed he eventually became was only due to them actually fighting in the ring. You kind of wonder the idea. I remember him saying if he had to pick anyone, it would be Mathis. And Ali hadn't been at the point of bad-mouthing Frazier too much at that point because Frazier hadn't represented the same type of a threat. But what did you what did you remember, uh, Frank? Basically, Jack. To touch on what you said, I think Ali leaned towards Mathis for two reasons: one, he liked him, and they had a good relationship; and two, Mathis was the boxer in that fight. Ali always considered Frazier, even before he started demeaning him, he considered him a street fighter. And Muhammad Ali, and we're probably going to discuss this next week as our anniversary fight because the fight of the century is 51 years old tomorrow. Muhammad Ali never to me grasped that Frazier was not a veto anaferma, walk in, take three to give one guy that Frazier had a great style of get, a great style to get inside. No one slipped a jab better while cutting off the ring and went to the body better than Joe Frazier. Now when that fight happened, I was a, I was pretty young. I was around nine but I just remember thinking that Frazier was just too strong, that Mathis could live for a few rounds, give his, give his fans some hope, but eventually Joe would cut him down and chop him down, and that's exactly what happened. And then think about the heavyweight division at that time because a month later, Quarry and Ellis fight for the WBA title. Oh, wow. And it's like, so you have two championship fights. 
right, you know, within within a month. And Randy Gordon again says Frazier broke Mathis down with a massive body assault. That is true. Nobody killed the body like Smoke and Joe. Well, and you could just see. I mean, Randy's correct in what he's saying, but the fact that two was Mathis's weight. Now, as I recall, he got down to about two hundred forty-three pounds for that. That's what he was, Jack. He was he was in pretty good shape for that yeah, fight. Yeah, well, he was. He trained hard, but he was a naturally very big, heavy guy. And to keep away from Joe Frazier for 15 rounds, because that's when what title fights were scheduled for us at that time, that was a massive task. And Mathis actually did well. I thought he won three of the 10 rounds, wasn't knocked down in the first 10 rounds. Right. All of a sudden in the 11th round, it, it just unfolded. He got knocked down. You know, the body attack set it up and then a hook to the chin. And he went and he got up at nine and he was exhausted. Basically, he was exhausted. He'd given it all he had. And you know what the big difference between those two guys, besides their style, Joe Frazier liked to fight. I don't think Buster Mathis did. I think he did it because he was good at it. He had success and he made money. But Joe Frazier loved combat and he liked to fight. And I just think. Hmm. He sensed. I mean, he was talking to Mathis during the fight once he got rolling and smoking. And Mathis didn't have the punch to keep him off. And and Frazier's like, he he is impossible to outbox. You have to fight him. And it's a testament to Muhammad Ali that he beat Frazier two out of three because stylistically, Frazier is murder for a boxer that cannot do damage to him before he gets inside. And if you think about it, the only guy that really beat Frazier up was the one man he fought who could do damage to him before he could get inside and start smoking and working the body. But Mathis was a little underrated at the time because he was really a fleet-footed boxer. He could put his punches together, but he was a boxer more than fighter. Joe Mathis Frazier. Was gentle, he was basically a gentle giant. You know, speaking of Ali uh, with Frazier, they asked Frazier before the first Ali fight, who gave you your hardest fight? And he said, Buster Mathis. I mean, going into the first, you know, Ali fight. Uh, obviously, once he fought Ali and George Foreman, obviously those fights exceeded that. You know, after Mathis lost to Frazier in 11 rounds, and it was a result that looked better in time as Frazier got better. Proved to be how great he was. Disappointment. Uh, Mathis followed up. By beating George Shabalo very decisively at Madison, he owned him in that fight. He won almost every minute. Right, and he and Mathis looked like an exceptional fight. And then he fights Jerry Quarry in the next fight. He had nothing. He lost the decision. Got knocked down once, but he was so passive the whole fight. It wasn't the same guy who fought Shabalo. And I think that Quarry fight basically ended Mathis's career on a high level. Of course, he fought Ali. The same year Ali lost to Frazier when Ali was on the comeback trail. He lasted the distance. You get the feeling Ali could have taken yes. Mathis. Yes, Ali liked Mathis and always he spoke highly of him. And just kind of like eased up a little bit. But uh, yeah, listen, Mathis was a good, good fighter, but it just something was kind of missing. Something. Jack, missing. before we roll into our featured fighter, I just read what Lee Groves wrote. Stylistically speaking, Joe Frazier was a monster, searingly accurate all, on offense and much better on defense than many think. Against anyone not named Ali or Foreman, 
He was above average. Thank you, Lee Rose. I have been saying that for the last 30 years. When I hear people talk about how Frazier was not a smart fighter and easy to hit, they don't know what they're talking about. George Chavallo said Joe had the best defense of any fighter he ever fought. And Ali said constantly, he said to Angelo Dundee after the third round of the fight of the century, which we'll touch on next week. But he said to Dundee after the third round, because Dundee told me this on my radio show back in 2000. He said, I thought this guy was supposed to be easy to hit. I can't find the son of a bitch. Where is he? He's all over. That's that's a that came from Muhammad Ali's mouth. You know, it's interesting. Angelo Probst, Dundee. Lee Groves wrote a book. Uh, I I think the title seemed like Ali by the numbers. It, it, it took into account Ali's fights, the punch count, the amount of punches he landed, his opponent landed in the fights. And what I found most fascinating, I was with Lee one day talking, and this was before the book came out, and then later the information came out in the book. <clears throat> I told him the first Ali Frazier fight, Frazier obviously landed the much harder, more damaging punches, but Ali landed more punches. And Lee said, no, he didn't. And Frazier landed more. Frazier actually landed more, not only the harder punches, but landed more punches. You know, There's a reason for that, Jack. Besides Joe Frazier being so great defensively, you know what the reason was? He was punching to the body. Ali didn't throw one body oh, punch. Listen, let's spotlight other fight before we forget. We're getting caught up in the heavyweights. The rubber match between Emil Griffith and Nino Benvenuti, okay? And when Nino Benvenuti beat Emil Griffith uh, to win the title, he came from Italy, and we didn't know whether he was just another hyped-up European fighter, even though in 1960 he was voted the outstanding boxer of the Olympic Games. Right. You know, Emil was favored. He was the established guy. Ben Benuti knocks Griffith down in the second round, a hard knockdown. Then Griffith delivers a thunderbolt. He knocks Ben Benuti down in the fourth. Ben Benuti is staggering all over the ring. Had the Griffith finished them, that would have been basically the end of Ben Benuti. Chances are I never would have been a world champion. and We wouldn't even be talking about him going forward. But Ben Benuti survives. He wins a clear decision in the rematch. It was less than exciting. Emil did a workmanlike job. He dropped Benvenuti, soft knockdown in the 14th round, wins a majority decision, which should have been unanimous. Now they have to rematch, the rubber match. Emil is favored. Emil is looking good. He's in great form. He's in camp with his buddy Joe Frazier at the Concord. And Emil's looking great, but for whatever reason, for 12 rounds, Ben Benuti was taking the play away from him. Emil stages a furious rally in the last three rounds, but the lead was a little too big. So Ben Benuti wins a close decision with the big lead he built up. But that was a heck of a series. What's, what's your remembrances of the Griffith-Ben Benuti uh, trilogy? The, Griffith was the better fighter. That was him moving up in weight. I think he was a little bit compromised against a guy like Benvenuti. Their styles didn't clash. They really weren't exciting fights to watch, except for the knockdowns. And I agree with the decision in all three fights. Um, but clearly, Griffith was the better fighter. He did much better against Monzon. He beat better opponents. And that's probably, if I was going to say to you, if you had to say, who's the best fighter that Nito Benvenuti beat? I think you'd have to say it's either Rodriguez, who was old, or Griffith. Rodriguez he had a bad fight against Dick no, Tiger no. in a non-title fight. 
Rodriguez was in good form when, you know, he fought Ben Venuti. Don't, we can't take credit away from Ben Venuti. He was in good form. He was on a good run of success. And, uh, but he was a welterweight, you know, who was now fighting middleweight when he fought. A couple ben years Venuti. later, though, Jack, he really went downhill. And he was winning that fight overwhelmingly yeah, when, before that, he got hooked, hit with that left hook. He started going downhill after he lost to Ben Venuti. But, uh, yeah, so that was a heck of a doubleheader there at the Garden. We don't we don't have fights like that, Frank, on pay-per-view anymore. They wouldn't give us a doubleheader like that. They give us one good fight, and then they build around it with guys who are trying to promote as so-so fighters. Or they recycle guys, and they and they call it a stack card. I'm disgusted with the way things are done. I agree with Lee here about their styles, and you're right. Griffith aggression did frustrate Benvenuti because he really Emil smothered a lot of his good shots and he made he made Nito swing and slap a lot and be wide with a lot of his shots and he just didn't look good against them. But let me throw out one quick trivia before we get to our featured fighter. Joe Frazier opened up the new Madison Square Garden. Can you guess what what arena he opened up a year before that? He was the first main event. At the Philadelphia Spectrum knocking out Tony Doyle? I knew you would get it, Jack. That's why I knew you would get it in 67. Uh, <laughs> I was there that night. And think yeah. about it. Joe Frazier opened two of the more well-known hallowed halls of boxing in the Spectrum in 67 and the New Garden in 68. I got to tell you, when we have on the Mac and Jack show, we have Russell Peltz as a guest. And I told him if I can snap my fingers and bring all these guys back in the prime of their career to fight, and I could have 25 fights, I actually would pick uh, Bernard Hopkins and Benny Briscoe only if it was at the Philadelphia Spectrum. If Philadelphia ever could have a, a, a fight be brought back in time, bring two guys together. That would have been the ultimate Philadelphia fight. I heard that. And I heard Russell would pick, he picked Benny to win too. Oh well, yeah. I mean, Russell is mellow. I know that. Years I'm ago, not sure. I agree with that. Years ago, he said Benny Briscoe would have destroyed Hopkins, stopped him within six. And now Russell is mellow. Now he says it would have been a close fight. But it, he, it definitely goes a distance, but I think I might favor Hopkins there. Yeah. I, I, don't, don't get know. mad at me, Russell. Yeah, well, listen, Russell and Benny Brisk, Russell Peltz and Benny Briscoe had that special relationship. I mean, Russell just came out with a great book. I finished reading it, you know, $30 in the cut eye. I mean, wow. I mean, so many memories of so many of the- One of the best boxing books I've read. You know, you're from Philadelphia. I did disagree with Russell on one point. Uh, Cyclone Hart and Willie the Worm Monroe, guys you're familiar with being from Philadelphia- they eventually did meet, but they didn't meet when they were unbeaten hot shots. That's what right. I wanted them to meet. I don't want guys meeting later when they're still good. I want them meeting when they're like the ultimate. You know, kind of I like thought Willie was the second best middleweight out of Philadelphia at that time after Briscoe. Yeah. I, yeah. I liked him, even though I know Hearts stole a decision from him. I, I, I think Willie was the better fighter. Yeah. And he, he clearly beat Hagler. Boogaloo didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a shame that there was a snowstorm when Monroe fought Hagler and they didn't have tape of the fight. But from all accounts. I was there, Jack. 
Oh, you were there my, during the snowstorm? My, my, it was in 76. Oh, wow. I was there that night. There was like 4,000 people there. But and, and, the, uh, Monroe, okay, so I, I want to hear about this. No, right? Monroe, Monroe, he didn't, he didn't manhandle him, but he definitely bossed Hagler that night. So much so that Hagler said in the Philadelphia papers the next day, he admitted that he lost and he'll learn from it. Hagler, people forget or didn't know, Hagler did not complain about that decision. Willie was the alpha that night in that fight against Hagler. Yeah, it's a shame sometimes when you have that type of performance, Monroe had to fight Hagler again. Sometimes it's good to just leave it alone. You know when years go by, the guy you beat is, you know, his, has improved a great deal and you've slid backwards. And it's kind of like cashing out. But I guess it's a part of our box. Willie beat, and I and I had Leonard beating Hagler, but Willie beat him even more convincingly. Hagler-Leonard was close, and you could almost go, who do you like, whose style do you like? Even at that, I thought it was Leonard's fight, but there was no argument for Hagler, for, um, Hagler against Monroe. Before we get to our spotlight fight, uh, uh, one of the other fights, were you at the Alfredo Escal Escalera Tyrone? Yes. Fight? Uh, was that one of the worst decisions you ever saw? Uh, how would you rate that decision? Uh, if somebody said to me, what's the worst decision you ever saw? That usually is the first one I say. Okay. Ever won 12 out of 15 rounds, and that might even be being kind to Escalera. Yeah. Real, real, yeah. A lot of shenanigans went on regarding that fight. Maybe we'll spotlight Tyrone Everett to talk a little more about him. You know, another night he died tragically, but he deserved to have his moment of glory. And no, he should have been really the champ that night. And I was yeah. a big Escalera fan. In fact, I went to that fight cheering for Escalera. I wasn't crazy about Everett's style back then. I knew he was a good boxer, but I liked Escalera back then. But he clearly lost the fight. I mean, it, yeah. it just there's it, it, it's that fight. <laughs> deserves the outrage. I don't see that with Catterall and Taylor, even though I thought Catterall won. Okay, good enough. Speaking about cashing out, sometimes you get these really big names in the sport, uh, Frank, who fighters always want to fight because even if you lose, you win because the payday is so enormous. Right now it's Canelo, but at his heyday, fighters weren't anxious to cash out about our spotlight fight of the month, uh, of the week, I mean, Mike Tyson. I mean, what can we say about Mike Tyson, Frank, that hasn't been said? Well, Jack, let's touch on this. The quick history, retired 50 and 6, 44 knockouts, lost to Tillman twice in the 84 trials, turned pro March 6th, which is yesterday, knocks out Hector Mercedes in the first round. Wins the WBC title in his 28th fight, undisputed in his 31st fight, and then lost it in his 38th fight. Let me tell you a quick story how I knew about Tyson before everybody else. Remember I told you about how I got to go see Ali Frazier because Jacobs and, and another guy, their car got a flat and my dad fixed it? Great story. Years later, around 79 or 80, I saw Jacobs at a fight. And I told him the story, and he remembered my father. Obviously, I'd never met him. And I said, I really like boxing. I really like to talk boxing with you sometime. Can I give you a call? He gives me his card. Well, over the next couple years, I would call him maybe 
maybe once or once every month or two. And if he couldn't talk, he'd say, Frank, I can't talk. Call me back next week. I'd call him back. We'd talk. Well, he told me about Tyson before anyone knew who Tyson was. And he, I remember him saying, Frank, I have a kid who's a combination of George Foreman and Mike Tyson all in one. So when he told me that, obviously I was, I was pumped about Tyson. And I followed his career in the amateurs. And the only thing he said, he said, Frank, he says, I don't know how he'll react during a crisis. And I never forgot that because at the end of the day, that's probably the biggest knock on Mike Tyson. And piggybacking off of Lee's statement, here's what I want to say, Jack, and I want your opinion on this after I say it. Mike Tyson has gone from being overrated when he was coming up during his title reign to being underrated today. Now, everybody has opinions on Tyson. Let me just say this. Mike Tyson is clearly, without a doubt, if you had to name the top five most skilled heavyweight champions in the history of boxing, Mike Tyson's name better be on that list. Nobody can find, combine speed, power, and combination punching like Mike Tyson did. And at one time again, he was very overrated. Today, I think he's underrated because of the way his career went down the stretch. And he didn't handle adversity well. But I would just say this. Mike Tyson at his best. I'm not sure I could name 10 heavyweight champs who would beat him. Uh, no, that wouldn't have been 10 heavyweight champions at their best who would have beat him. Now, because that, that's kind of a bit of a large number when you talk about 10. Uh, so much is about perception, Frank. Let me throw this by you. They talk about his loss to Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas, when he got knocked down in the eighth round, he just lifted his glove up before the 10 count a fraction of a second before 10. The referee easily could have said he counted the 10 at that moment and the fight would have been over. Had the referee waved it off at that moment like he could have, what would we have been saying about Mike Tyson? We would have said, what guts, what heart, his eyes are closed. He's being beaten all fight and one shot he turns it around the heart of a lion to hang in there, a never say die attitude. He'll never quit. You know, Jack, that's the thing that, that, that haunts him to this day. He never got off the canvas to win a fight. And the only fight I can think of that he came back and scored a big knockout that he was losing was against Franz Botha. No, but he hasn't, but you're talking this peak, you're holding it against him because he didn't overcome adversity. Listen, if I told you one of the, if I, I don't know, we never really discussed Roy Jones in detail, you and I, and this isn't about Roy Jones, but if I said he was the greatest fighter of the modern era, you might disagree with me. If you said it after he beat Ruiz, I wouldn't. But it's but it's a viable type, but it's a viable statement, I could say. But Roy Jones 
the only fight that he ever won where he faced adversity was maybe the first Tarver fight. And that's when he was starting his decline. And he so, gutted it out in the last round. Right. I mean, fighters face adversity in a lot of ways and we forget about it. The great Sugar Ray Leonard, no one ever talks about his fight against Marcus Giraldo, where he says it was complete desperation, where he was seeing three Giraldos. Costamato said that's a fight that shouldn't have been made. He was overmatched against a big middleweight. Okay, we forget about things like that. I mean, listen, I mean, Tyson at his best, okay? How many fighters could have withstood his attack? It was such a ferocious attack. And 10, I can't see for the life of me. Ali, yes, you could say. Holmes, I don't think so. I'll be quite honest. But I think he knocks out Holmes, any version of Larry Holmes. And Holmes is an all-time great. Don't get me wrong. Sonny Liston, George Foreman, I, I'm intrigued. I don't know how. Oh, I think, I think. I think Liston beats him. I think Foreman mutilates him. But how many George Foremans are? There's not that many. At Tyson's very best, you're talking Here's the problem, Jack, with Mike Tyson. And I don't want to rip him, but Mike Tyson fought from 85 to 2005. But yet, in some corners, we can only judge him from November of 86 until June of 88. There's no other fighter in history that we do that with. That we only, we, we have to pick out like a certain time frame and that's it. Mike Tyson did not beat any tremendous fighters in the 80s. But what I will say about Mike Tyson is this, and I'm not sure if I agree with you if he Razor beats the best Larry Holmes. Razor Ruddick was... A top of the line contender when they fought, but the losses to Tyson changed perception. Listen, Tony Tucker was a heck of a fighter. You know, he went. He was good. Yes, Tyson, he was right? good. But after they lost to Tyson, these guys kind of became. I don't want to use the word term damaged goods, but their status went down. Same Trevor Burbick was a heck of a fighter. And Buster Buster Douglas was outstanding. The the night he beat Tyson, he would have beat a lot of other heavyweight champions that night. He was that good. But here's the best case for Mike Tyson, Jack. And I don't care if you like him or you don't. No one talks about this. But Mike Tyson did stop Larry Holmes. Nobody ever did that before or after. And Holmes, even though he took the fight on short notice and and for money and he was 38, he went on to be pretty he successful did not after take that. The fight on short notice. That's a myth that Holmes is trying to perpetuate. He was given plenty of time to train. Jack, he hadn't fought in two and a half years. He was, he was in excellent physical condition. And just, I listen, he wasn't the same Larry Holmes as early. No, his jab was lazy. He was he pushing, listen, pushing it out. The fight, after the fight, okay. Uh, didn't he beat Ray Mercer when Mercer was at basically his best? He came back, again, he came back three years later and he was successful. So Tyson knocking out Larry Holmes is a spectacular win. There's a guy that was never knocked out, fought Jerry Cooney and Ernie Shavers, and they didn't knock him out. Tyson did it. So Tyson is just very tough to say. But I will just say this, because I have been accused of being a Tyson, not, not, not like an anti-fan, 
But I do bring up the case that kind of takes away from his greatness sometimes, like I do with Mayweather. I think Tyson is more legit. And again, he had he was champ for a while. At his best, I don't think there's 10 heavyweights that beat him. I would love to see him fighting today. I think he would mutilate Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. And I think he would beat he would beat Tyson Fury no, too. Tyson, because had, Tyson huh? Fury was named after, after Mike, Mike Tyson. Because Tyson, Tyson right. Fury's dad is the biggest Mike Tyson fan, and his dad was interviewed uh, not that long ago, and he said that Mike Tyson, they asked him all these hypothetical heavyweight fights who would have beaten who. This was last year. And then they asked him about Mike Tyson, and he says, no, at Mike Tyson, at his best, he beats everybody. I wouldn't go that far, but I wouldn't. I I could see him being a problem for Tyson Fury, though, because Mike Tyson could get inside and work that body, and Tyson Fury would have nothing for Mike Tyson inside. And we know that Mike Tyson was good at getting inside. And here's another thing, Jack, that nobody ever talks about when it comes to Mike Tyson. He's one of the few punchers that no matter who he fought, they never got through the fight without tasting his best. Where I can think of nights where Max Bear never never landed his best stuff. George Foreman, Ernie Shavers never landed his best stuff where Tyson could deliver his power, and that's the difference. Even though I think a guy like David Tua would beat Tyson head-to-head, Tyson is clearly the better fighter, the greater fighter, one of the all-time greats. And just to sell the argument, again, give me me the names of the 10 guys that you would bet your bank account on that beat the best Mike Tyson. Well, no, no, I don't feel that 10. So, uh, I'm not saying you. I'm saying in general to the guys that want to say he's overrated, he's not that good, he lost to the biggest names he fought. Uh, and Jack, no, face it. We don't know. We don't. You know what it is when we say who's going to beat who, we get into the habit of doing things like one and done. I'd like to make it a series: best three out of five, best four out of seven. You know, like they do in team sports. And if Tyson were to fight Holyfield, for example, best four out of seven. Neither guy would sweep for nothing. I mean, that's no, but I think I think Holyfield wins six out of seven. Here's how I break it down, Jack. Since we can't do that, and there aren't many series, I look at this way. Look, I think it's a consensus that Secretary is the greatest racehorse ever. We could name all the other horses that ran, and maybe they might beat him more times than he beat them. But we know this much: the clock tells us that nobody ran. The race is faster than Secretary. So if you take him on that day, nobody's in front of him. And I kind of think when we take fighters and we take them at their best, I do it as a one-off. Granted, Holyfield would not beat Sweep Tyson, but I do think at their best. And I always felt that Holyfield would have his number. I'm not sure Lennox Lewis beats Tyson if they're both at their best. Because Tyson might get to that uh, chin. Keep this in mind, style-wise, for fighters like Lennox Lewis, <clears throat> Riddick Bowe, Tyson had a lot of trouble with tall guys throughout his career. It was a pattern. A lot of trouble. Even a guy like Jose. But yeah, you're going to pick him to beat Larry Holmes. But yeah, that <laughs> home, it's a, he'd have Holmes' number. I'm telling you. Okay. I'm certain of that. I, I mean, think Swarmers I bother Holmes. I, I think Tyson any, could keep, he could keep, Holmes could keep any, him outside. I don't have any doubts about that. Not at all. All-time great. I, uh, but fighters like Jose Ribalta, 
goes 10 rounds with Tyson, okay? Razor Ruddock, a tall guy, gave Tyson a lot of trouble. Buster Douglas, a tall guy. So you're talking about tall guys like Lennox Lewis and Riddick Bowe. Just the idea the way Tyson would have to reach up to them. But and Jack, Razor Ruddick had nothing but a half uppercut hook. One punch that Tyson knew that's the only weapon he had, and he totally took it away from him. Ruddick seldom landed that but shot. Tyson I think that was an easy fight Ruddick. for Tyson stylistically. He had, he had trouble reaching Ruddick. He had trouble reaching Tony Tucker. Okay, I think we're about winding down, Frank. I mean, uh, I think the timekeeper's going to hit the bell uh, pretty soon. But uh, Great show, Jack. Next week, we'll talk about the fight of the century. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.